So right, we you're, you're right, the screen's oh, okay. wrong, so don't worry, that's my problem, not yours. You're right, keep to, pile on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Verse 7 to 21, we'll just go ahead. Uh, yeah, go for it. Um, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command... Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Apologies to Donna and John at the video desk. That was my fault, not either of theirs. Um, but do keep that passage, um, the right passage, open in front of you. Uh, it's a long one. It's quite a complicated one, but it's a really rich one uh, and a beautiful one. Uh, before I pile into that, I, um, I am delighted to say that there was a particular reason for me asking Donna to come and read that reading, uh, which is that I'm delighted to be able to announce uh, that Donna starts today on the staff team uh, here at All Souls, and she's going to be serving the second half of her curacy uh, with us. So um, we'll get to meet Donna properly um, next week and hear a little bit from her, um, but it is lovely to have you with us. Um, I think we ought to welcome her and the time on our way. We're really glad you're here. Thank you. Well, as I say, do have that passage open in front of you. Um, it's one of those uh, bits of writing in the New Testament that when you first hear it, it's, it's like standing on a beach and, and a wave just sort of washing over you. And as long as that's a warm beach, I don't know, somewhere in the Med, that's fine. Just occasionally in the Bible, those waves are pretty cold and pretty fierce. This is more of a warm one. 
lots of talk about love, lots of very positive language, but still quite bamboozling in the sense that there's so much stuff in there. And actually, if we had the time, which we don't this morning, but I'd urge you to try it yourself. If you dived into this passage, do it when you get home. Start in the middle, verse 13, and work outwards both ways. That sounds a very odd thing to say. But I think the way John actually has written it is he starts in the middle with Jesus, and then he works outwards. So actually, it's sort of parallel um, verses get repeated again and again and again. So like the start of that passage matches the end, and the next bit matches the next bit, and the next bit, and it all comes together in Jesus. But actually, the most important thing for us to hear today is that what this passage, I think, has to say to us, what God has to remind us of, uh, is to do with what it means to be valuable, what it means to be precious, fundamentally what it means to be human. Uh, actually, Donna and I were talking in the week, and she sent me a link to somebody you may have seen on the TV this week, a chap called Harry, uh, who's a D-Day veteran, uh, a remarkable chap, almost uninterviewable, uh, in the sense that had no sense of being on TV, just wanted to talk. Um, he's in his 90s. He has every right to do exactly that uh, after what he's been through and everything he had to say. Um, uh, but it was one of the funnier interviews I've seen because the two interviewers were literally on the edge of their seats, I think, wondering what was going to come out next. Um, it was very powerful, actually. And one of the things that was powerful about it was that in the midst of having been somebody that uh, was part of the D-Day landings, he's given much of his life to raising money for a, a, a proper memorial to, for this particular um, beach. Um, and he wants to honor the sacrifice of his friends. Uh, he says, I'm not a hero, I'm just lucky, I got out alive. But what he kept saying was, what a waste. What a waste. He wasn't particularly making a comment, I don't think, on whether you should be a pacifist or not. There's long, honorable history of, of both Christians who are pacifists, often to great cost to themselves, and many Christians who are not, who say that war is evil, but it's a necessary evil at times in this broken world. But actually, wherever you land in that, there is at our heart a sense that as we look at a world that is broken and damaged, and in places so dark, that war is evil. There is nothing good about war. There is nothing to be welcomed about war. There is nothing to make us celebrate war itself, and that the reason that every human being who thinks at all rationally and has a heart, that the reason that every human being can look at war and go, that is just a terrible blight on humanity, is simply and only because human beings are precious. That's why Harry says, such a waste. He didn't mean such a waste of ammunition. He didn't mean such a waste of money or food. He actually meant such a waste of human beings, such a waste of people. People are utterly precious. But why? Why should we be? You and I are fundamentally a a group of fairly well-organized, well, depends on who you are, molecules. We're a bunch of chemicals. You could actually go, as I've often said here, you could actually go into a hardware store uh, and go online and buy all the minerals and chemicals that make up your body for about a tenner. But you're worth more than a tenner. In fact, you and I know at a really 
gut level that there is no price you could put on any human being. And the remarkable thing is that as human beings, we know that it doesn't make sense to assign worth to human beings based on what they can do or what they can provide or what they look like. I mean, we do it. We do build our own hierarchies in our heads of who's worth more than others, but we know at a gut level that's not right. And we know that, for example, those examples of extreme heroism and self-sacrifice on the battlefield are not stupid. They're because other people are worth everything. You saw the film Saving Private Ryan many years ago. A whole company of soldiers dispatched to rescue one soldier. There is this sense of which every human being is infinitely precious. But why? Why do you and I know that a tiny baby just born who can provide nothing, do nothing, is worth and is as precious as every adult who might be out earning a wage providing them for their family? How is it that you and I know that somebody just minutes away from death is as precious as you or I with years left to live? How is it that that is true. Why should that be true? Now, although John's letter doesn't come in the midst of war or on a battlefield, it is a letter that speaks into people who, just like you or me, need to know why it could be that people are precious. And at the heart of everything that he says, he says, because you and I and every human being that has ever lived are loved. Time and again, through this passage, we hear that we are loved by God. Verse 7, love comes from God. Verse 9, God showed his love. Verse 10, he loved us. Verse 11, God so loved us. Verse 16, God is love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We are loved. It's where the gospel starts. It's where the good news starts. You are loved by the person who made you and knows you. You are loved. This universe is not just a cold, dark, empty place. There is, at its very heart, a beating heart of love. And as we were thinking last week, that love has a face, the face of Jesus. That's where we meet the love of God given for us. And that means that we know that this love for us is not somehow based on a hierarchy of who gets to deserve it, as if there are some people who are lovable and some people who are unlovable. Some people who are spiritual enough to earn God's love, maybe they pray enough or go to church enough or are holy enough or wear a dog collar or whatever it is, but actually that every human being is counted lovely, lovable by the God we meet in Jesus. Actually, with a love that is so fierce, so determined, so absolute, that it will even become the antidote to our unloveliness. That's why John writes in verse 10, this is love, not that we love God. In other words, it doesn't start with us. We have nothing to offer God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I commented on it last week when we sort of overlapped passages. This idea that when Jesus came and lived and died and rose again for us, what he was doing was living out the love of God and giving himself in that epitome of, the height of self-sacrificing love. His life for my life. His life 
for your life. This love of God is the antidote to my unlovability, the antidote to my unloveliness. I'm entirely unlovable if you only knew me from the inside out, and thank God you don't. And aren't we all in the same position? That old uh, uh, illustration, it's just so good, it's impossible not to use, of if I were to point to any one of us today and say, we've got really good news, the technology's improved to a state where we can now read your attitudes, feelings, emotions, and thoughts, and we're just gonna project up here five minutes from your life yesterday. There's not one of us would stay here. In fact, we'd be trying to destroy the projector, the recording, everything there was, because we know that we are okay on the outside, most of the time, pretty decent, nice, kind, loving human beings. But from the inside out, we are unlovely. Jesus' love, the, the love of God shown in Jesus, lived out, died for us, is the antidote to our unloveliness. And he does it by stepping into our humanity. Verse 14, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This isn't a God who looks at human beings and goes, well, okay, I'll do what I can to help them, sort of at arm's length. This is a God who loves humanity, women and men and children like you and me, so much that he dives into the midst of our humanity. That's love. Human beings are precious because we're loved by God. Human beings are precious because that love is so fierce, so determined that it becomes the antidote to our unloveliness. Human beings are loved and precious because God counted humanity worth giving himself into and for. God becomes flesh. That's why that verse 14 sits right at the heart of this whole passage because it's this isn't a theoretical love. This isn't an idea about love, a philosophy of love, a way of thinking about love. This is love come and lived out amongst us, with us, for us. And the aim of that love is that we might have something that we talked about last week, intimacy with God. Intimacy simply means knowing and being known. Eyeball to eyeball, heart to heart. There in verse 13, sorry, there at the end of verse 12, God lives in us. Verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he lives in us. That's a definition of intimacy. We know him, he knows us. Verse 15, God lives in them and they in God. Verse 16, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. What an astonishing statement of how precious every human being is. The God of all creation, the one who made the universe, the one who sent stars into space, the one who created time itself, wants to live in us and for us to live in him. Do you remember last week we talked about that painting that hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral and actually in a college in Oxford too of Jesus standing at the door from Revelation 3.20 and knocking. And it reminds us of that verse that where Jesus says, I, knock, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will open that door, I will come in and I will eat with them. Beautiful picture of friendship and intimacy, just sitting at a table and eating together. So far, so good. Human beings are precious. We're loved. We're rescued. We're brought into friendship with God. But 
God's love is not complete. Now, hear me really carefully here. I'm not saying God's love is imperfect or inadequate or not total and entire. It's that God's love is not complete because God doesn't love us just for the sake of saying he loves us. That's not love, actually. That's just words. Love, when it's love, looks for a response. When you love someone, love calls out from them a response of love. Love is not complete until it is, if you like, the circle is completed. When you reach out to someone, actually what you long for is for them to take hold of your hand. When you reach to give somebody a hug, and they stand there like that, it's not the same as when they throw their arms around you in response. God's love, says John, is made complete. Verse 17, this is how love is made complete among us. And how is that done? Actually, by our responding to his love. Verse 19 and 20, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. God's love is made complete when we respond to his love by loving him back, by loving one another, by caring for this beautiful world he's given us as a gift. That's the completion of God's love because that's the aim of his love, that we would respond to him. And the astonishing thing is that as we do that, John says that then other people get to see God, no less than God in you. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The end of verse 17, this, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Human beings are utterly precious. They are loved by God. That love is the antidote to our unloveliness. That love brings us into friendship, intimacy with him. But that love is not complete until we respond to his love, simply by loving him back, by loving one another, by caring for his beautiful world. And as we do that, as his love is completed, other people then get to see God in you and me. How precious are human beings that we might carry the image of God that people might see in us his love. And what a challenge it is to me. What a challenge it is to you. Every single person you will meet this week, whether you're sitting opposite them on the tube, okay, standing opposite them on the tube, whether you're sitting opposite them in a cubicle tapping away at your computer, whether you're standing next to them at the school gate, whether you're waking them up in the morning trying to get them to go to school, whether they're your next door neighbor, whether there's somebody that you like or utterly loathe, every human being is that precious to God. Loved, died for, invited into relationship with God. One in whom it would be possible, if only they knew it, for God's love to be complete 
one through whom, if only they realized it, God's love could be seen. One through whom, if only they would believe it, God's love could begin to mend a broken and hurting world. War is, and always will be, a terrible evil because human beings are utterly precious. And for those of us who believe that war is sometimes necessary, we can only say it's necessary because human beings are utterly precious. That's the heart. And we're precious because God says we are. Let's pray. The collect for today, the special prayer for Remembrance Sunday. Loving God, lead us, we pray, from death to life, from falsehood to truth. Lead us from despair to hope, from fear to trust, and from hate to love, even from war to peace. Let peace fill our hearts, our world, our universe. Amen.